0: Kevin Harrington, an original shark in the hit TV show Shark Tank, I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an As Seen on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur, Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester, I'm the author of Unite, The Four Mindset Shifts for Senior Leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author, he's got an amazing radio show. Hello there, my name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, This guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development.
1: Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dov is just an outstanding character, Uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with
0: businesses. Hey, this is Derry, I'm John Kavala Davis, a.k.a. The Strategy Man. And if I'm going to describe
1: Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need for leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobstead team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing
0: speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Stabness, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and
1: heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoth, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders.
0: Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of
1: the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dolph Barrett.
0: Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Billyu co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well-thought-out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book, Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that
1: matter. Here's what I'm curious about today. Genius. Does it only exist in a few? Or do only a few have the courage and the conviction to discover it? And is it always limited to one specific outlet? On this episode, we are going to take a bite into your curiosity and find the answers from another multifaceted, extraordinary human being. I'm your host, Doug Barron. To find out more about how you can hire me as your speaker or your consultant for your organization, you can simply go to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting or fullmontyleadership.com forward slash speaking. My guest on this episode is arguably the number one brand differentiator in the world. In fact, Simon Sinek Sinek credits him with helping him find his his why. Mark Levy is a differentiation expert who differentiates business, business people, products, TV shows, live shows, political campaigns. Whether or not you know his name, you certainly know Mark's work. His consulting and coaching clients included, as i before as aforementioned, Simon Sinek, which starts with Y fame, the former head of strategy for Harvard Business School, CEOs and top brands like former CEO of Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. He is the creator of the cult classic Mystery Theater 3000 and TripAdvisor's top rated live show in New York City, a magic show called Chamber Magic, which is rated higher than even the musical Hamilton. For the past three years, Mark and I have been very good friends. We've met uh, every couple of weeks over a video just like this, and we've talked about the obscure and wonderful things of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me to welcome the accidental genius, the man with the lingerie for your sexy, big sexy idea, magician, Andrew Jersey's Indiana Jones, my dear friend, believe
0: Thank you so much so from my intro, so thank you for that. you dropped several wo- meaningful words, so I had uh, coached the uh the uh, f- former head of the strategy unit of the Harvard Business School. i'm not sure if that's different than the head of strategy also I'm not the creator of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. I consulted to the creator I, and I've written, but uh, the, anyway, I you just were wanted to get the creator
1: of of what oh,
0: chamber ma- yeah so chamber the hi- magic. so the highest rated live show in new york city on tripadvisor and it has been for the past year or more is uh um a show i co-created 20 years ago called chamber magic a demonstration of modern conjuring it's rated higher than even hamilton on tripadvisor right. so, so yeah so, yeah
1: so th- th- that's you know but even in that intro it's so So much of what we're talking about on this show on QRSD Bites is that people are multifaceted. There's so many different parts to you. And we're going to go into those. I'm going to dive into those in a bit. But before we do, we want to start with our first question. And our first question is always the same. And we want to know, what is Mark Levy most curious about at this time?
0: What am I most curious about at this time? Um, I think it's what I'm most curious about uh, at this time is, so my business, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm gonna take it away from the realm of business. Uh, but so my business is about helping people come up with the big sexy idea of their business, their differentiation, the thing that makes them stand out and then how to talk about it and write about it and so forth. And so that kind of idea about what's at the core of what this is, but in a way that's unusual and super cool to people, uh, I'm, I've been trying to expand that concept. I've been trying to see how I can use it in other venues, in things that have nothing to do even with business. I, I'm not being ambiguous because I'm trying to keep proprietary ideas away from people. I'm being ambiguous because I'm not well thought out on it yet, so so uh, essentially I'm trying to take this skill of mine that I use
1: all the time and see where else it can be used. Hmm. So again, another outlet for it that wouldn't naturally be associated to it. Right. Well, and and uh, like a minute
0: ago or so, you talked about like people they're multifaceted and what. Yeah. I actually don't look at myself that way. I look at myself as single faceted and I just stick that facet in like a bunch of different spots. So it's interesting. I'm excited to hear how I'm multifaceted because I'm not sure that I, uh, uh,
1: uh, that's something that I've ever thought about. Okay. That's cool. Well, all right. So let's go to that. Let's go to genius, right? You know, you and I, we have great conversations with genius. Do you think it only exists in a few? Uh, or do you think it only it exists in everyone, but only if you maybe have the courage to really find out what it's all about?
0: Yeah, um, I I've thought a lot about genius. I know, not that I right. I, I wrote a book <laughs> called "Accidental Genius," a, a right. book on how to use journaling to solve business problems. Um, and a, a a funny thing, an interesting thing. I wrote that book when I was. It came out when I was 39 or 40, the first- So two edition. years ago. Right, right, right. <laughs> next year, yeah. Uh, next year. <laughs> right, next year I'll be 40. Yeah. Uh, it came out when I was 39 or 40, the first edition. And for the first 39 years of my life, no one had ever called me a genius at any point, ever. And then when that book came out, because it said accidental genius, and then my name in big letters underneath it for the next like three or four years. Every week I was called a genius. Constantly, you know, I'd be interviewed and whatnot. Said, "I'm the genius." Like, and like I was not smarter. <laughs> Then I had been before,
1: you know what like, it's called, it's, it's but, NLP and you you, you, you install it in people's it. brains with that title. Right, right. It was an
0: unintentional branding. I really learned a branding lesson. By the way, now that I rarely talk about accidental genius, it's rare that I talk about, I'm not usually called a genius anymore. So I need to like reestablish that. So thank exactly. you. Exactly. No, to me, the whole premise of accidental genius was this, that no one is a solid state all the time genius, that that's unheard of, even people who are super smart are really stupid at lots of different things. But um, at times, if you set up the right environment about around the right conditions and around the right topic or so, and you allow yourself the freedom to think in unusual ways, you will force together ideas that don't normally go together or you'll make mistakes that produce genius mm. so it's it's I in the book I talk about having a genius moment so in other words interrupting your normal states <laughs> you know for like a surge in genius and that I absolutely believe is 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 the truth because I'm I'm around a lot of super smart people and like high achievers and whatnot all the time. And again, most of the time, they're not like walking around, you know, like producing amazing, you know, most of the time we're we'll walking around, they're saying, oh, like, where's the exit? You know, like in this building or, oh, what do you want? What do you want for lunch? Do you want a roast beef or you want, you know, they're not thinking genius things
1: but you know when we talk about about it in that way and even when you talk about things like flow state nor is it do you think it's do you think it's innate or do you think it's catalyzed that that oh, moment wow. that spark not, of genius do you think it's think both or is it Those are all together do i think it's catalyzed
0: or what was the first option innate. It's multiple it, choice <laughs> innate <laughs> Well, it Got could it. be innate. It could it could be catalyzed, I, I, or it could I, be a combination. I'm a, I'm a big believer. Uh, uh, of course, I know it's not as stark as I'm about to say it. That that nature's far more. Uh, there's great gradations. Uh, I am much more nurture over nature. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm a I'm a big believer. Uh, of course, there are people with natural predilections for something. But give me someone uh, who's if you're not in an environment where something is valued you're not mm-hmm. going to develop that thing that's not valued because there's no right there's no reason to develop it, so you 'll ignore it as if it's nothingness so to me that's kind of the idea of. Of nurture over nature you know like nature you're naturally strong at something but if that thing that you're strong at isn't valued you'll probably turn away towards something that's more valued by society and you'll develop a strength in that and your nature side may atrophy that's
1: just a theory (laughs) I could be wrong but that that's what I No, hold on a minute that because I I, that is a big part of um, so one of one of my philosophies is when I'm working with clients like you, you know, and I'll say, um, and they talk about, you know, well, we're gonna offer this and we offer that and we do this and we do that. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Nobody cares. And I'm like, well, of course they do. And I go, no, 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 nobody cares. Value is values-based. And they go, what do you mean? Value is values-based. If I don't value it, it's not worth anything. You want to sell me this antique chair that's worth ten thousand dollars, and to me it's just an old schmata, and I don't care, <laughs> right? right? I'll give you five bucks. Right? If you go, it's a twenty thousand dollar antique. I'll give you five bucks because it's not valuable to me. And and at a psychological level, in this context of genius, I think you're absolutely right. Um, there was a there was a, 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 a theory that I was actually been writing some stuff around. Recently, and it said, <clears throat> if the if if some form of string instrument didn't exist, whether that's a harpsichord or a piano or whatever it was, at the time, would we know Mozart? Right, right. If if oil paints didn't exist at the time, would we know who Rembrandt was? Right you know and I, and i and so like thinking and, and you can think of that in the context of technology right so the technology had to be there in order for the for the genius to be brought to the world and what what you're saying is even in the not just in the technology but even in the environment so if you're a sh- if you've just got this natural genius for um, for cooking as a chef and you live in a place that's got corn and pigs, and potatoes, you're going to be kind of limited. And your genius is probably not going to show up because everybody likes pork crackling, and they like fried corn. That's it. That's right. Well,
0: and and you know, your genius, like you may be the one to, to shun the prevailing wisdom and create something brand new. But I think that that's uh, uh, few and far between that we're, we're you know we're social animals and we're very much influenced by people around us and so you know just imagine I mean I know that you know imagine that's something you have this great talented for imagine people hate that mm-hmm. like they just don't either they, they they don't care for it or they actively hate it it's pr- it's just, you're you're probably not going to devote the time to it, you should. What you were talking about with the musical instruments reminds me of something I think I read in a book by Seth Godin, he was citing a study, and he said, and I may have, I haven't thought about this, so I may have it slightly wrong, but the idea is right. He said that there was like musical critics sitting in a music hall, and they were all blindfolded, and on stage was a violinist, sitting in a chair with a bunch of violins and he one at a time picked up each violin and played it and then you know after like five or six violins or whatever it is they uh he put everything down they unblindfold the music critics and they said which was the best violin and what i didn't mention to you was that one of the violins was a Stradivarius and the other violins were brand new violins that had just been manufactured. And in, in 100%, the new violins were the ones that produced the better sound than the mm. million dollar plus Stradivarius. So, it, you know, like the Stradivarius is the thing that we've... But here's the interesting thing that it, uh, that Seth said about it. He said, but the thing is, we don't listen to symphonic music blindfolded. Mm. So in other words, the story that we hear about the beauty of the Stradivarius and the rarity and whatnot, so influences what it is that we enjoy or pay attention to, that even if we objectively thought the others were better, we will convince ourselves that the Stradivarius is is the better instrument. I think he also said, must have been in the same essay or the same book or so. He said something like, "If you think that IHOP makes the best pancakes, then they do because you'll make them the best." In other words, all taste subjective,
1: and you know, yeah, and bias gives us focus. I saw, I saw an interview with a wine critic years ago that I just loved. And By the way, I'm not into wine. I don't know. I wouldn't know a good wine from a bad wine. Um, But he was like, you know, he had the bow tie on and he just looked like the, the stereotypical wine expert, you know, couldn't be more. And he's talking about these wines and those wines, and these are $10,000. You know, and he's talking about all these different wines and the regions and, and the flavors and all these amazing things about wines. And I was just watching it because you and I, that's what we have in common, is we like to learn shit that is really not relevant to us, but it's just interesting to learn. Sure. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sort of looking a lot, and I'm probably 10 minutes into this, into, into this thing he's doing on here, and he says, but I want to tell you, the very best red wine on the planet, and and you know the person he was having this discussion with on camera was like you know leaning right in, very intrigued. Oh my, you know, obviously a, a big red wine fanatic uh, or a wine fanatic, and um, and he said the very best red wine is the one you like best.
0: Oh, interesting. I didn't expect that. Yeah.
1: And he said that's the one he goes and if oh. that's he, and he said if that's ten dollars from Woolworths that's the best wine right he goes everything else is merely an opinion because that's all it is he goes your taste buds are determines what's the best wine for you but your conditioning around whether it's a ten dollar Woolworths brand or it's a ten thousand dollar French brand, Well, that could determine how you focus it. But the truth is the way to know the best one is the one you like best, that's it. And I thought, wow, that is such a great point. Uh, It is
0: a great point. And and by the way, when I first had learned about points like that, when I first kind of read about this kind of subjectivity around things, it uh, was very disconcerting for me. Like Mm. it was not a benign thing. Because, you know, I don't believe in a lot, as you and I have had discussions. I you know I'm very, you know, uh, uh, I'm very skeptical and so forth, all these things. And so when I found, when I had heard that kind of reality was purely subjective, that, you know, I, I tried to base things on facts. Even when mm-hmm. I'm working with clients, it's like, you know, uh, uh when they, when they say things like in that, you know, I teach them on writing their elevator speech, you know, how they introduce mm-hmm. themselves to people. And I say the best way to do that is to base it on fact, because that way you can't, people can't dissuade, you know, they can't push it aside. If you say I'm the greatest, whatever, that they can argue with you. But if you're, you know, the number one in this field by some measurement or so, then that's cool. So I try to get them to rest their differentiation on something defensible and factual. And so hearing this kind of subjectivity was very disconcerting to me. And I I take umbrage in the fact, I always remind myself of it. This is actually a a saving thought for me. When I think about how how subjective life is, I still remember that we need air to breathe. Or you know, if you <laughs> threw yourself off a building, you would probably hit the ground. You're not go- now. Someone could argue, oh, maybe you could have a machine breathe for you. Maybe you won't hit the ground. Maybe you'll have like a jetpack or something. But I'm saying, unless you had something, yeah. your view, there are certain factual things that are that are going to happen. What, what does that? What does that, 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 that give you? As, as silly and obvious as that sound, that gave me great. Solace in the fact. Oh, thank God!
1: There's something I can rest my 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 soul on. Go ahead. So, baby. so that so that's it. So, what does that give you to know <clears throat> that as long as we are on the planet, we being humans, that life is 99.9 percent subjective, and there is that one percent that where did you get uh, those facts from? <laughs> I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there's just like, you know, if we are the majority of consciousness that's on the planet and we're approaching everything from a subjective point of view, then there's also this other piece, which is, as you said, you know, the undeniable facts. And And I will even, I've had this argument with people before, and I say, okay, is gravity a fact? Let's try this. Is gravity a fact? yeah yeah is it the same fact on the moon as it is on earth uh i would
0: say yes because whether it's working or not is based on scientific principles that probably operate in the same or a similar way right so
1: gravity is a fact this
0: was a, a right or wrong interview Mate, I, I thought this was you. a subjective interview, like IHOP
1: pancakes. <laughs> you know, you're gonna like quiz me. So, 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 gravity is a fact. Yeah. But how much of a fact is it in the in the context of uh, its impact on us? That can be subjective. So, gravity is always there. We know that because, according to Einstein, that's what holds the planets in place. Right. Okay, so we've got that, but gravity on earth is different or even on the on the upper level of the earth is different than it is at the bottom of the earth as in at the bottom of of the ocean and it's different than it is in the stratosphere and it's different than it is on mars or it is on the moon or wherever else so gravity is always there but there is a subjectivity to it not a personal subjectivity but a subjectivity that might be planetary or might be atmospheric Yes, yeah,
0: subjectivity is probably not the accurate word, but I get what you're saying. Right. It's so, always there no matter where you are or so, but there are there are variations in environment that that heavily influence. Right.
1: And so so you know, I've had this discussion around psychology. When I talk about um when I talk about two identical twins growing up with is that the same four twins? No, two. Is that what Is that four people or two? So two two people who are identical twins growing up in a, in a seemingly identical environment yet they're different. Right. And the only difference is their subjectivity. The only difference is how they see that environment, you know, and it's fascinating that everything appears to be identical, but it's not because this, this filter that we have, this this mechanism uh, of our own cognition and how we filter through that is so, inc- you know, so we talked earlier about nature and, n- and nurture. The nature is, okay, uh, DNA seems to be the same. The nurture is, seems to be the same. Mom, dad, same house, same school. We look alike, you know, well, we look identical. So what is it? So there's that there's a, for me, there's this objectivity, the subjectivity, and the sub-subjectivity, which is the interpretation below the interpretation, that deeper level of understanding that is so um, macro, it's so let's get into the weeds of it, and, and that there are things that even identical twins will not see exactly the same, and we actually don't know even at a uh, an ocular level we don't know if we see things the same so even even that we don't actually know we can't prove that the the way you see blue is the way i see blue right we say what color is it It's blue well if we get to the macro of that right down to the micro of it rather then how do we describe that blue well it's no it's actually not the same it's fascinating